Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Spirit of Prophecy podcast. We are continuing my conversation that we started yesterday with Scott Clem, and we're going to talk about preterism, historicism, and futurism. We kind of briefly gave uh, some of the definitions of those things, and we talked a lot about preterism, uh, some things about Israel, things that we think are fulfilled, things that we don't think are fulfilled, but... Uh, right now, what I want to do, because um, you know, Brother Clem, he considers himself a partial preterist, and uh, to me, in my understanding, I see a lot of very close similarities to partial preterists and historicists. And so you tell me, Brother Clem, if my definition of this is wrong or my understanding, because historicism is an even newer term. To me, I have recently uh, come across some Baptists who consider themselves historicists to the point where they believe that basically all the prophecies of the Old Testament, the Olivet Discourse, were fulfilled in 70 AD. This is, I, this is the way it uh, was explained to me. But the book of Revelation, they believe that those, are, those were future events in John's day, all of it. But it has all been happening through history. And uh, one individual I talked to, I might even have him on the program one of these days. He was a very interesting individual. But um, he believes that the seals, the trumpets, and even the vials have been happening throughout history. And, And not everything that he was saying just made a whole lot of sense. He still believed in a coming of Christ and a resurrection, but... Uh, I was very confused uh, when he was talking about, you know, the trumpets and vials uh, being fulfilled already, too. But uh, I do know that there are people out there, you know, uh, Brother First, uh, he believes the seals have been happening throughout history. Uh, I believe that's your position. Uh, I think I think Brother First even believes the trumpets or no, I don't think he thinks the trumpets have been happening. I think he believes those are future but we'll be here till the seventh trumpet. I don't believe he, I don't think he believes the trumpets have been happening throughout history. So obviously, even in that world, there's probably a big variety. But what would you say are uh, some of the differences between historic, historicism and partial preterism? Yeah, good question. And um, you know, just for the for the listeners out there again, preterism is talking about things that have been fulfilled in the past. Futurism says, hey, things are going to happen in the future. Historicism is this idea, and it was it was you know a prevalent view amongst the Reformation period, in which the the events of the Book of Revelation are unfolding throughout history. And so you might put it this way: whereas preterists think that. All of the book of Revelation happened in a short time period, maybe seven, maybe seven years, but certainly within 40 years in the past. Futurists think the book of Revelation is, you know, particularly chapter 4 through 22, that that's all going to happen in a future seven-year period. The historicist says, you know, it's not limited to seven years, that this has been unfolding throughout the course of history. Now, partial preterists... Um, I, I think you're going to have a, a variety of views. I, I think there's certainly going to be some overlap. And, you know, I'm just speaking anecdotally, but I would certainly think that 
there's a lot of overlap, and I think a lot of partial preterists would be more adherence to perhaps the historicist view. And by the way, even though it's not popular in Baptist circles, it's, it's certainly been around for a long time, like I mentioned the Reformation, but Seventh-day Adventists, you know, that's not, not something that I recommend, um, but Seventh-day Adventists, their eschatology is one of, of, a, of a historicist view. They have, that's how they uh, imagine things to, to unfold. And so I think there is some, some overlap. I think, um, you know, how to, how to distinguish that. Well, I think there's probably some partial preterists that believe that perhaps um, the, the events of the book of Revelation might be condensed more in a, in a, you know, in a punctuated time period. So, for instance, three and a half years or seven years. Um, but some aren't going to either. So that, that's how I would kind of picture that. Um, as far as that distinguished. So I think there's a lot of overlap, I guess is what I'm saying between historicism and partial preterism. Okay. And again, people get, it's, it's, it's funny how violently people react to the idea of thinking something is past, like the abomination of desolation, uh, or, you know, even the seals or something like that, where in reality, what we've been told to watch for, you know, is the coming of Christ. We've been told, you know, not to accept anyone, any man on this earth as the Messiah. You know, don't go looking for him here or there. You know, when the Messiah comes, he's going he's gonna to come for you. And so I do find it interesting that people just start foaming at the mouth uh, when you talk about that as if, you know, they kind of impact salvation or something like that. But I do think those are, are pretty interesting conversations. But at the same time, too, you know, one of the reasons that I would not be too quick to get on board at that, it is it is pretty hard to kind of find the consistency there. I've, I've not come across anyone who's been able to give a clear, concise uh, layout of those events, especially when it comes to things like the Mark of the Beast. Um, I've heard some theories on it. The Preterists, they'll talk about some of the stuff with Nero that happened in the first century. But then some of the historicists, which I could be wrong. I'm looking forward to talking to Pastor Baldwin about this. Pastor Baldwin seems like he has kind of a historicist view of a lot of these things, too. And uh, I'm not sure what his position is on the mark of the beast. But, I mean, have have you ever heard anything that seems credible at all that uh, would show the mark of the beast being something that's already taken place? Yeah, I, I think, um, you know, I, I think it, there is some credible things. Um, some have likened the mark of the beast as to the, the anti-Shema, you know. So the Shema was a prayer. You can find it, I think it's in Deuteronomy 6, that the Jews said like three times a day or twice a day. And, um, you know, and that's the passage that talks about, you know, having the, the, the law, you know, on their, I think their right arm or in, written on their forehead. That's where the phylacteries come from. You know, mm-hmm. the Jews, the little boxes they put in their heads, you know. And so um, that's the Shema. And, and, you know, the idea is that you would have the, the word of God before your eyes in front of you. You meditate on it, that you would live life by the word of God. That's kind of the idea of the Shema, the main emphasis. And so the mark of the beast kind of, um, you know, is the mere opposite is the anti-Shema. It is, it is walking according to the wisdom and knowledge of this world. It is rejecting God's wisdom. Um, it is, it is living by those things. And so, you know, there's, I, I used to be a lot more dogmatic when it comes to the book of Revelation, but, but I'm, I'm a little bit more open. 
I probably take, um, you know, my, my view is probably not going to be as popular with um, within, you know, Baptist circles any longer. Um, I think it's important maybe to introduce a new term, and that is idealism. That's not something we hear in Baptist circles so much. But whereas um, many of the other views, pre, you know, preterism, futurism, even historicism sees the, the events of Revelation as kind of um, maybe in chronological order or as they, they view the events kind of as a, as a puzzle, right? It's a, it's a puzzle book that we have to figure out how things are going to go down. The idealist point of view looks at the book of Revelation and says, no, it's not a puzzle book, but rather it's a picture book that is designed to give every single generation of believers from the first century until now. It's designed to give those believers hope in the midst of tribulation. As I recall, a revelation or an apocalypse is an unveiling. It's a peeling back of the curtain to see how things truly are according to God's point of view. And so the idealist point of view would essentially says that, look, you know, how things look on earth, all the problems, all the troubles, all the things that we experience, what's what's really going on there? And and if you peel back the curtain, the idealist would say, well, there's a cosmic warfare that's going on. That's why you have the trouble. You know, you are in the middle of a cosmic warfare with the kingdom of God invading, invading this present wicked world. And, and Satan, who is who is, you know, he's full of wrath. He knows he has but a short time and he is fighting against the kingdom of God. And so you have this this cosmic clash and that's where the problems come in. And so take heart because we win in the end. And, you know, be willing to, to give up your lives, even unto death, like Jesus did. You'll have the victory. Um, and so, you know, when we look at the book of Revelation, then, um, while there is, you know, people do take things chronologically, and I think that is a valid view. I, I, don't, I wouldn't discount that. Um, I also think there is some other interesting things about the book of Revelation that, um, that maybe people overlook. And, Brother Tommy, I think you're, I, I think you're kind of in, um, you have the view that I want to express now that, that there are repeating events in the book of Revelation. Um, now, the, the question is, is how many times do those things repeat? Um, there are some people who believe that the entire book of Revelation is seven cycles of repeating events. We call it recapitulation. In other words, it's the same story told from a different point of view seven different times. Now, some people think that it's only a couple different times or maybe three different times. And so... Um, you know, this is where this is where like amillennialists, uh, there are there are amillennialists who um, who will think that the book of Revelation, which is why they come to their view of the millennium in Revelation chapter 20. Uh, but they think that Revelation 20, for instance, is actually starting that cycle over again, um, that the story is now being retold again a, a seventh time. And so, um, you know, all that all that being said, there's. You know, this is a lot of symbolic language. I don't think anybody denies that. We like to argue over which stuff is literal and which stuff isn't, um, you know, and that's where the disagreement comes in. But that, that even goes without saying with the mark of the beast. I do find something interesting here, and I'll shut up, and that is the, the message to Thyatira, you know, the letter to Thyatira. And one of the things that was going on in Thyatira is they had trade guilds. And essentially, you had, you know, it talks about the woman Jezebel and, if you wanted to make a living during that period of time, you had to be part of the trade guilds, but the trade guilds were compromisers. They engaged in, in orgies and sexual fornication and just, just wicked stuff. And then you, so you can imagine being alive in that time period in, in which, you know, how do you, how do you provide for your family? You've got skills, but you can't use those skills. It's kind of like unions, you know, it's, it's a unionized thing. If you want to be a part of the union, if you want to be a part of the trade guild, then you have to do what we do. And if you don't, then you're out. 
And so, you know, Jesus is, is telling these people, don't give in, you know, uh, as hard as it might be. And so I think of that even as an instance of kind of the mark of the beast setup, because what's what's happening there? It's it's asking you to compromise. It's asking you to dip your sails, to capitulate a little bit. You know, oh, you can make excuses that Jesus will understand. It'll be OK. You really don't mean it. You know, just join and, and you know, and, you know, close your eyes, you know, but you, you're, at least you're providing for your family. You know, and so there's a lot of excuses that we can make. But the but the point of it is, is you have that same situation where the mark of the beast is, hey, if you, you don't take this mark, you can't buy or sell or, you know, good luck eating. And it's kind of the same thing with the message of the book of Thyatira. And so I think what you find is a lot of these repeating narratives, these repeating themes. And I think that that's one of them. Um, and so for me, I am more apt to see the mark of the beast, not as a literal physical mark that someone is going to take in the future. Now I'm open to the idea that it is, um, you know, I'm not dogmatically saying that it isn't, but I am more open to the idea that this has more to do with the Shema and, and given the apostle John's background steeped in Judaism and what that meant to those people, um, the anti Shema makes, makes a whole lot of sense. And so I guess what I'm saying is I'm more open to things. I'm not as dogmatic on certain things as I used to be. Um, and that's kind of where I would come down on that. Okay. Yeah. It's, well, what's interesting about this subject, and I don't think anybody would deny this, but if you go and you read anything historical, as far as look at historically at the different positions people held, people typically interpret prophecy in light of their current situation. Yeah. For example, um, I'm planning on, I'll probably do a program specifically on what King James believed about end times. Uh, I've got a, a book, it's like the writings of King James, and it's pretty interesting. You know, He kind of did his own translation uh, with some commentary of the book of Revelation, and it's very interesting to listen to his perspective. And in his day, I mean, the Pope was the Antichrist. I mean, without a doubt, uh, in their minds, the Pope was the Antichrist, which is why the Jesuits came up with preterism, because everyone was connecting all these end times things to the Catholic Church, and they wanted to take the heat off mm -hmm. the Catholic Church. And man, it was on. I mean, King James did not like the Catholic Church, and he did not have anything good to say about the Pope. But, you know, it's it's interesting how he did that. Even when you look at the apostles, I mean... People are right. The Apostle Paul, he spoke like the Lord could return in his day. Yeah. Um, and I and you know I've got sitting over on my desk uh, something else I plan to talk about uh, soon is the book The Late Great Planet Earth by Hal Lindsey. I believe that book influenced an entire generation of Bible scholars, including people within the fundamental Baptist world. And I have, there are so many prophetic things I've heard, especially about Gog and Magog and a lot of things with political events and Russia and all that. I've heard these things my entire life, but like nobody's ever proved to me how that's what the Bible is talking about. But then I read Hal Lindsey's book, uh, Late Great Planet Earth, and then all of a sudden I'm like, oh, wow, uh, that's exactly um, where they got that from. So everybody does that, and we all are literal. We all interpret Revelation literally when we need to, and we don't when we when we don't need it. And one of the things that one of these days I want to take the time to do 
is I want to go through the entire book of Revelation and I want to I want to highlight what I believe is literal and what I believe is figurative. <laughs> and then I want to have a, a good explanation of why and see if I can come up with any any consistency because at the end of the day, nobody's real consistent. And yeah. so I, I hear what you're saying too. Uh, like I do think every generation has needed the book of Revelation um, and should, you know, I, I believe the mystery of iniquity has always been at work. I think it's manifested itself differently throughout the time. But I, I believe this, the, what we're, what we need to get from Revelation, what is preparing us for, I do believe every generation has needed it. Yeah. And, and one of these days, you know, it will all go down and it will, you know, resemble the political situation of that day but it, it that doesn't mean these people from back in the day were just dead wrong about right. things i think the spirit of what was going on i think they were probably right on these things yeah yeah and you know you said something earlier that was you know really really good and that is is you know we all tend to read future prophetic events in light of our present circumstances and, and that's what you're talking about. These, these other generations did the exact same thing. And while there's nothing necessarily wrong with that, um, because, again, I think, you know, in, in the idealist view, it's, it's perfectly OK to do that, to, to, see, to see our current situation in light of the cosmic warfare that is going on and get hope as a result of this. Um, that being said, um, you know, when we look at these other views, like the preterist view and like the futurist views, so this is, would be the counter argument to why maybe the idealist view would be preferable in that, you know, if, you have, if, you're, if you're of the futurist persuasion and you think that Revelation 4 through 22 is all yet future, then, you know, what is the Re book of Revelation meant for all of these years, for all of, all of the, these millennia that, we, that we've had? It's only important to that future generation or the preterist who says it all took place in the past, you know, so what? So, so the book of Revelation really isn't important to any other generation except for the first generation that experienced these things. And so, um, you know, I think it's important to remember that the apostles in particular, they viewed things through, through their current circumstances as well, but they were also filled with the Holy Spirit. These are inspired words. And so I think it's important for us you know, when we interpret things that, we, that we're careful um, it's, it's not necessarily wrong to view things in, in light of our present circumstances, but to go back to the first century, and what did it mean to them then? You know, what did, what did the Apostle John want his original audience to know? What was important then? And then to, to look at things from that perspective. So I think that's important. Let me throw something at you and, and, and see what you think here. Um, you know, the book of Revelation, we all know that it, it contains a lot of symbolic language. And like you said, you know, we're, we're inconsistent. I think we're, everyone's inconsistent as far as what we take literal and what we don't. One of the things that, that I've, you know, that I've run across and I, it's helped me anyway, is considering what do we do? How do we interpret symbolic language? And so there's a hermeneutical principle that I believe is found in Numbers chapter 11. This is that story between Moses and Miriam when she rebels, her and Aaron, and she gets struck with leprosy. And so God calls them to the carpet, and he he says um, he says this. You got to find it here. Um, actually, I think I'm in the wrong spot. Um, oh, it's in chapter 12. Uh, God God says this. And the, and the Lord came down, and a pillar of cloud stood in the door of the tabernacle, called Aaron and Miriam, and they both came forth. 
And he said, hear now my words. If there be a prophet among you, I, the Lord, will make myself known unto him in a vision and will speak unto him in a dream. My servant Moses is not so, who is faithful in all mine house. With him will I speak mouth to mouth, even apparently, and not in dark speeches. And the similitude of the Lord shall he behold. Wherefore then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? And then the story goes on from there. But I think the hermeneutical principle is, is certainly Moses spoke to God face to face, so to speak, you know. Uh, he, he heard God plainly. Um, and I think the same thing could be said when Jesus was here during his first advent. He spoke to people uh, face to face and plainly. But when we think of prophets receiving dreams and visions, like the book of Zechariah or even the Apostle John with the Revelation, what do we have here? We have dreams and visions, and things aren't necessarily all that plain. And just like there is, when we take a look at the book of Zechariah, there are so many allusions from that book that are in the book of Revelation. It's, it's like constant. The, the Apostle John uses those things. And of course, the book of Zechariah is kind of difficult because we're talking about dreams and visions and things that we're talking about symbols. And let's face it, you know, the, the literalists out there really don't like it. You know, that we want something hard and fast that we can plant our fat flag and say, this is what that means. Um, and, and sometimes it's just not so. And so that's where... I guess where I'm at today, when I look at the book of Revelation and I think of the symbolic nature of it, that I am, um, I, I am, I am less staunch about the literalness of things. I think those, those pictures are speaking of real literal events, real literal realities, but we have to be careful that we're not mixing the, the, the image, the vision with the, the reality that it's trying to signify, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, I agree. Because here's the thing about that too. In in the beginning of the book of Revelation, a blessing is promised to those who would read and and do the things that are contained in the book. So I don't believe that uh, that book is meant to be a blessing just for the generation that sees all those things take place. I don't believe it was just a blessing for the first century Christians or future. There's things that God wants us to get from it. And so here's here's where I think maybe we've gotten a little sidetracked when it comes to all things prophecy. Because let's, let's just face it, too, we're all arguing about events that cover a roughly seven-year period. And we've been doing that for the last 2,000 years. Well, you know, what's, so most, of, most Christians are not going to be around during that time. However... The principles, the the commands, the things that are contained in that book of Revelation are things that we are supposed to be living. And so we should be focused more on the things about how one lives their life, that we are doing the things, all those things that God called the churches, those seven churches to do, the things he told them to repent of, the things he commended them for. Every church for the last 2,000 years should be following those things. You know, who cares if a church... They've rearranged Larkin's events the same way that you have if they're not doing the things contained in the book, if they're messing with the Word of God, if they are adding to or taking away. You know, it, keeping the commandments of God is much more important. And I think, you know, and so when it comes to the things that we know, I think we argue more about the things that we don't know than the things we know. Here's what yeah. we know. Jesus is coming back. Here's another thing we know. A time was going to come when they were going to say, 
where is the promise of his coming? I believe when it comes to prophecy, we should continue sounding the trumpet that Jesus Christ is coming back one of these days. There will be a resurrection of the dead. I believe that we need to win souls for crying out loud. We need Mm -hmm. to proclaim the gospel as a church. We don't want to allow our churches to be infected with leaven. We want to keep the doctrine pure. We want to follow the commands that God gave us. We want to have good, clean moral lives. When Jesus comes, he's coming quickly or he's coming suddenly or however you want to however you want to spin that. And every generation, I believe, has been meant to use this book to keep them motivated yeah. to be ready for the coming of Christ. And so uh, when it comes to some of these you know, more specific points that are only going to, in reality, apply to one generation, I just, I feel like we ought to be able to disagree on that stuff as long as we keep the main thing the main thing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think I, part of the problem is, is we, um, you know, we don't in our 21st century churches, a lot of us, you know, and this is, this is, I'm putting myself in that boat, right? We, um, we, we're not used to tracing images in the Bible. We're not mm-hmm. used to seeing some of these images and we're not used to necessarily the way that, that even the biblical culture 2000 years ago, how they thought, you know, we're used to Aristotle and Plato and logic, 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 you know, and that's just not how the world was 2000 years ago. So to trace images and, and, you know, to get comfort from those images, you know, so revelation 12 is one of those that I think is, you know, what you just described kind of that, that being faithful in the here and now living out your faith in the midst of persecution, in the midst of difficulty, I think that's exactly what what John is articulating in Revelation chapter 12. You know, you have that story of the woman who's clothed with the sun and, you know, she's got stars around her or whatever. You know, you know, is that really literal? No, I don't think it is. And if we read on, it tells us like what what's what's notable about these believers. Well, in verse 11, they overcame him talking about the devil who is now persecuting them. Uh, They overcame him by the blood of the lamb, by the word of their testimony. They love not their lives unto death. Right. And that's what we're to do. We're to, we're to love not our lives unto death. Verse 17, the dragon that was wroth with the woman went to make war with the remnant of her seed, which keep the commandments of God and, and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. Sorry, this isn't Israel here. Some people think this is Israel. Uh, Israel doesn't keep the commandments of God and they do not have the testimony of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. But the remnant of her seed, i.e. Christians, believing Israelites and believing Gentiles, we do, do do those things. We do keep God's commandments. We do bear the testimony of Jesus Christ. And, and so you have this cosmic warfare that's going on. And I think what John is doing is exactly what you said. He is giving believers, you know, he's, he's, he's in the cheerleading section. You know, he's saying, staying, or saying stay faithful, mm-hmm. you know, unto the end. Um, uh, you know, plant your flag, fight, you know, the, um, uh, don't give up, don't give in. Be faithful unto death, just like Jesus gave up his life. Be willing to do that with, with, with yours. And so I think that's what much of the book of Revelation, as far as these grand images that we're not necessarily used to, I think that's a lot of what the message is. There's a cosmic warfare, and what are you going to do about it? Mm-hmm. Are you going to capitulate? Are you going to bend to the will of the culture and, and everything like that? Or are, are you going to stand and fight? Are you going to bear your cross as Jesus did? Yep. Well, and that was the Apostle Paul's message, too. 
he's trying to get these people to be faithful and ready for the coming of the Lord. Meaning, mm-hmm. not you got to know the order of events and things. Meaning, you've got to be busy in service. You know, the parable that Jesus gave, how he he commanded the porter to watch. He gave people a job to do, and when, and God has given us as a church a job to do. And the last thing we want is to him to return and to find us not doing that job. That's the real. That's the real danger. Yeah. So I feel like when it comes to what the Bible emphasizes about end times, we don't even talk about that stuff. And I believe those are the keys to knowing what you need to know yeah. when you need to know it. And, That's a great and, point. and what what ends up happening is, you know, some guy, he makes a chart. I'm not against making a chart, but then he's going to defend his dying breath, that chart. And then you got a whole, you know, people who, you know, they join up with that person and they're going to defend that guy's chart. And you got people today, you know, that are, they're almost afraid to talk about these things. And I think we should be able to talk about it, consider uh, possibilities. I think that's how we watch, you know, for example, too, what about the mark of the beast? I mean, just you ask anybody today what the mark of the beast is, and it's a microchip that's going to go in your hand. Yeah. Well, 30 years ago, people were thinking it was a tattoo, you know, and it's like, no, you know, in your hand. Well, you know, a brand, it's it's in your hand, you know, or it's it's in your forehead. Yeah, you know, but but the thing is, you know, I mean, I think it would be a microchip today. But what if it's a technology we don't even have yet? You know, yeah. and e- either way you look at it, you know, we I, I think the important thing is is faithfulness. You know, being saved, exactly. keeping our doctrine right, keeping busy, and we're we'll recognize these things. When it came, there were people who recognized Jesus as the Messiah at his first coming. People who were ready, people who were of faith. Yeah. Uh, and and so I believe we'll recognize these things when the time comes. But I just, I feel like we've gotten so dogmatic on things that are not crystal clear. And we've gotten so hostile towards those who disagree on these things that, that people can't even talk about it. And we've created yeah. camps. And here's the thing about all this, too. If you ask me, are you a preterist, futurist, historicist, all that? Well, you know, I don't like I'm having a hard time accepting any of these labels of extra biblical terms because I can find faults in all of them. So Mm -hmm. I've always considered myself a futurist, but people will accuse me of being a preterist because I don't put all of Daniel seven or of. Larkin's chart and his events that he says are future in the future. Therefore I'm a preterist or at least a partial preterist. Cause I put part of Larkin's chart <laughs> in the past. Yeah. And the, these are extra biblical terms. You know, they're, they're ways that we can try to identify ourselves and to kind of give people a, a rough idea of where we're at. But none of these are, none of these are perfect things. And, and too many people mm-hmm. have just accepted a flag of dispensationalism, of futurism, of preterism, and then whatever the you know the majority of the people are saying in that world, they're just echoing it. Yeah. And I think it's embarrassing. Yeah. Well, we all want to we all want to know you know how things are going to play out in the future, and um, and so it's 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 only natural to look at you know to look at things as a puzzle book. I, yeah. I, I don't I don't find fault for people doing doing some of that. Like you said, you can get overly dogmatic on certain things. And let, let me I guess just. Yeah, give you an example. You know, we talk about the mark of the beast again, 
And, and that's juxtaposed with the, the name of God written in believers' foreheads a little bit later on, right? And again, I think that goes back to the Shema and what the Shema meant. It meant to love the Lord your God and be faithful unto him. And I think that's a theme that's being emphasized in Revelation. But if these things are going to play out in a, in a real literal sense somehow, which I don't discount that they might do that, I think what we what we found even over the I'm not saying it was the mark of the beast, but what we saw over the last few years, even with COVID, um, you know, take the shot or don't work. I'm I'm sorry, that's pretty darn close. That's mm. that's pretty close to what Thyatira Thyatira was dealing with, and and what that is, and this is where I think it mirrors more closely to the Book of Revelation than anything that we've seen in in a really long time, in decades at least, is that. What government is saying is, I'm God. You listen to me. You you take the jab. And if you do that, you can work. If you don't, you're, you're done. It's it's government worship. It's government acting like a beast. Well, there's a, there's a term we're familiar with, and that's what it's about, right? Where government is God. Well, I'm sorry. No, government isn't God. And so when we get overly dogmatic and we say, well, the mark of the beast, it's only going to be a microchip. You know, if, if we're not careful, we'll fall prey to some of the nonsense that happened just a few short years ago. And you'll do something stupid like take a, a foreign substance into your body so that you can go out and work. And you'll make all the excuses in the world. Well, you know, I need to provide for my family or what, whatever else. No, I'll tell you what you did. You, you capitulated to the government. You treated government as God and not the one true living Lord who sits at the right hand of God. That, that's what you did. And so something in the future might, in fact, happen, you know, mark of the beast style. And if you're so overly dogmatic that it's going to be a mark microchip, well, man, are you going to give in? Are you going to capitulate on, right. on, you know what I mean? So just be open, be, you know, hold, hold things with a, with a, you know, with your hands open, so to mm. speak. And um, yeah. Well, so, yeah. So think about what you just said there, too. So somebody's dogmatic that, no, it's got to be a microchip. Or somebody is dogmatic, too, that, wait, no, the mark of the beast can't come until after the rapture. Therefore, it's okay to bow to the will of the government in an area where they have no authority because it's not the mark of the beast. When what we should be learning from the book of Revelation, you know, is, you know, we should be learning not to, you know, give things to Caesar that aren't Caesar's. You know, yeah. what we should be learning is not to... Uh, you know, not to support, you know, a power that's, you know, taking things that are not theirs, you know, so the, the attitude and the spirit that we should be learning from these things, it's clear people haven't learned those things. And so mm -hmm. I know for me personally, you know, when, when I became post-trib, it did help me develop more of a, uh, for lack of a better term, you know, rebellious attitude towards the government. And when I say that, I believe I believe we should be submissive to the government in all areas where God has given them authority. Yep. Now, when it comes to overreaching authority, you know, when it comes to uh, them performing things that God did not ordain, I do think it's okay to, you know, for lack of a better term, rebel against that. And so, for me, when I learned that, you know, I, I did. I had to balance those two things, and it helped me learn. Okay, wait a minute. Where do they actually have authority? What did God actually ordain them to do? And yeah. so that helped that helped me in that area. But then too, it helped me to just kind of have a, a stronger attitude and to prepare myself mentally, spiritually to take t 
tough stands. And, and so those are things that we should be learning from Revelation. Those are things that people, you know, historically have been strong on. And yet today, you know, we're obviously closer than ever, but it does seem like uh, people are missing that and weaker than ever. And it, it was pretty discouraging, yeah. uh, the submission that we saw, even from Christians. Yeah. Um, you know, you had uh, Robert Jeffers who was saying, well, I can't be the mark of the beast. You know, Donald Trump is the one that, you know, got this thing going. It's just like, are, are you kidding me? And just encouraging people to do that. Yeah. That that really yeah. that really blew my mind. And so so when it comes to the life lessons, the character applications that we should be taking from those things, people are ignoring those and just completely writing it off because we're still here. Therefore, not for us. No. Yeah. Revelation, I believe, has been for every generation. Exactly. Well, you take a look at Revelation 13, right? You have a picture mm-hmm. of a beast, a government that acts mm-hmm. like a beast, right? It's government acting like God. And, and yeah, there's, there's a lot of parallels in, in our own, own modern society where we look at government like it's God. It tells us what to do. It tells us, you know, where we can go. We, we trust in it. You know, we give our worship and adoration. I'm sorry, government is not God. And, you know, you're not going to have a savior, you know, who's going to who's going to come in, you know, a politician who's going to come save you. You know, I don't care who it is. Um, you know, we used to we used to believe that government was a servant and that we as citizens, we were the masters and that government was a servant to serve us, to protect our rights. And we've got that flipped over on its head now to where we think that we're subjects of the governments mm-hmm. all of a sudden. You know, I'm sorry. We don't live in England. You know, we, we got rid of that mess. Um, so, so yeah, to, to find those parallels, to see those. And like you said, um, to take some, some, you know, we're all about application today. Well, how about we apply maybe some of those pictures that we see in Revelation where government's acting like God and apply that to our own modern time. And uh, and say, no, you know, like you said, I'm not I'm not for, you know, flippant kind of rebellion, um, you know, or or just being a contrarian to be a contrarian, you know, sake. Um, You know, we should have kind of this Jeremiah ethic to where we seek the good of Babylon, so to speak, but that we remember that government isn't God Mm -hmm. and that we we rebel, as you said, um, in those cases where we show who the true Lord of the earth is, right? And it's not Caesar, you know, it's Jesus. So, yeah. Amen. Yeah, no, I agree. Well, hey, I think that's about all the time we have for this. But I appreciate, you know, your input on this stuff. And uh, hopefully this was a help to everyone. Uh, me and Pastor Clem, we would both agree that things like full preterism is a heresy, but we're also able to give the specific reasons why. It's a denial of the resurrection and a literal return of Christ. There might be some other details in there that are areas where we can disagree. And it's important that we understand, uh, you know, where those boundaries are at and not just, and then we don't want to just be a flag waver uh, for one of these label groups. They've got some things they say, right. Some things they say wrong. Futurists aren't right on everything. And so at the end of the day, you know, I'm getting slower and slower to just accepting certain labels, especially when they are not, you can't even find these terms in the Bible. 
Uh, I'm tired of getting associated with stuff I don't, you know, I I don't believe. And so I do think there's a lot of ignorance out there when it comes to a lot of this, you know, and that's fine. Uh, you don't need to know that much about preterism uh, because, you know, there's it's got a lot of garbage in it. But, you know, just be careful going around trying to label people a heretic and, you know, and call them a preterist when uh, they're, they're probably not one and they definitely don't deserve to be called a heretic. Yeah, I don't man. think that's really fair. <laughs> so any any final words before we close this out? No, I think this is good. And, you know, to the viewers out there, subscribe to the channel. This is great. It's awesome to have these type of, of discussions and, and to do so in a way that, you know, I know, uh, uh, you know, Pastor Tommy and I, we, we disagree on some things. But to be able to have a cordial conversation like this, um, to talk about things openly and to be willing to hear people out, I think it's just really awesome. So this channel is really great. Can't wait to see, you know, other episodes. Um, I'm enjoying it. That's for sure. And so I, again, appreciate the invitation to come on. Yeah. And make sure you check out Pastor Clem's channel. I'll leave a link in the description. And again, so far uh, I've had, you know, I plan to have a lot of guests on here so far. I have not had any heretics. Now, if there are some full preterists out there that you like, man, you guys just butchered preterists or whatever. I, I have not, I'm not necessarily banning heretics from this show, but just understand if I think you're a heretic, I have to call it out while you're on here. You know, I like to be polite and civil and all that. So, um, and, and I will be polite and civil and allow you to have your say. But if I, I think it's heresy, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to have to, you know, you're going to have to be able to handle hearing me say that, but otherwise um, just trying to, but hopefully represent these things correctly and show where our problems are with them. And so either way, uh, we're both, we're all looking for Jesus Christ to come Amen. back. We're excited about it and ready for it. And uh, this is how we watch. We talk about these different things. We speculate. And at the end of the day, we're probably all going to be wrong on a lot of stuff, but we will be right. Jesus Christ will return take us home to be with him one of these days and i'm excited about that so thank you for watching this make sure you like subscribe and uh, go follow i'll give Brother Clem a follow on his channel preaching and politics so thank you all we'll see you all next time